0: Were the major American bank collapses in March actually orchestrated by the World Economic Forum? How is the crisis of Silicon Valley Bank linked to Credit Suisse, and how would that crisis be linked to the Great Reset? Is the next financial banking crisis underway? Is the banking crisis in the United States going to be linked to a repeat of the economic crisis of the early 30s? This week on the Global Research News Hour, as a yet another banking institution is in trouble, we reassess the dangers of further troubles spreading across the nation and ascertain the dilemma facing both the giant banks as well as the humble households of America. In our first half hour, geopolitical analyst Peter Koenig speaks of his vision of these bank failures actually being or coordinated to help move forward plans to digitalize all currency well before the end of the decade. Then in our second half hour, We will hear from economic thinker and journalist Dr. Jack Rasmus about the fundamentals of what happened to Silvergate Capital and Silicon Valley Bank last month, and what may be in store for more banks as the qualifiers continue to go unaddressed. On this week's program, contagion, U.S. banking woes, and the rise of the Great Reset. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of April 28, 2023. The program is funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. I'm your host, Michael Welch. The show seeks to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today. from Thinkers, researchers and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our shows are features on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. We acknowledge this program was produced on the traditional territory of the Nishinaabe, Ininu, Ojibwe, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. The treaties and agreements that allowed them to access to the land and water were broken by the settler side. We should stand in respect of promises and repay for the damages of genocide and colonialism that ensued as a result. Now it is time for News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site.
1: Listeners should know that some of the articles may run against common messaging about sensitive subjects and are not all endorsed by this radio station.
0: By agreeing to settle, Fox News refused the evidence its day in court. Why? A possible explanation is that Fox News voluntarily or involuntarily participated in an orchestration that established the precedent that reporting news different from the narrative or news that is unfavorable to a person, company, or government institution is defamation. Think about what this means. A prosecutor who charges a person with a crime has defamed the person. That comes from the article, Fox News' decision to settle Dominion lawsuit for more than three-quarters of a billion dollars makes no sense. By Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, posted April 26th, originally published on the Institute for Political Economy. If the COVID shots are the most dangerous injections we've ever seen, what makes them think mRNA shots for cancer, heart disease, influenza, respiratory sync? virus or RSV, HIV or any other condition will be any safer. Moderna is planning to offer a personalized cancer shot by the end of 2028. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has already designated it as a quote, breakthrough therapy, unquote, which means the regulatory review will be expedited. The European Medicines Agency, EMA, is also fast-tracking it under the European, quote-unquote, Priority Medicines' prime scheme, mRNA-based influenza shots are also in the works. That comes from the article, Coming Soon, mRNA Cancer and Flu, quote-unquote, Vaccines, by Dr. Joseph Mercola, posted April 26th, originally published on the Mercola website. The leading trade unions in the country made a final appeal to Macron, urging him not to sign the bill, since several clauses within the legislation had been rejected by the Constitutional Council. However, the president maintained the same position, claiming that if the reforms were not instituted, the entire retirement system would become insolvent. In addition to the upholding of the legislation by the Constitutional Council, the judicial body declined to authorize a national referendum on the question. Macron himself refused to allow a final vote within the National Assembly and imposed the law by decree. However, workers are continuing to demand the abolition of the new pension reforms. That comes from the article... France remains tense after pension reform bill is signed into law by Abayomi Azikiwe posted April twenty-sixth. Now, China is turning its efforts to negotiating an end to the war in Yemen, which has been a proxy war between Iran and Saudi Arabia. China's new status as a peace builder has sidelined the U.S., which had been profiting from arms sales and wars in the Middle East for decades. Iraq, Libya, Syria, and Yemen have all been devastated by the U.S. military and their allies since 2003, and the U.S. military continues to occupy parts of Syria. In Yemen, the U.S. participated as a military partner with Saudi Arabia and made huge profits from selling arms to Riyadh. China's efforts in peacemaking are set to affect the U.S. arms business and may leave the U.S. as the big loser in Yemen's peace. That comes from the article, If the War in Yemen Stops, the U.S. Will Be the Loser, Interview with Hamid Rizk by Hamid Rizk and Stephen Swahini, posted April 26th, originally published on East Discourse.
1: Peter Koenig is a geopolitical analyst and a former senior economist at the World Bank and the World Health Organization, where he worked for over 30 years around the world. Uh, Peter is a, also a research associate of the Center for Research on Globalization. Pleasure having you back on the Global Research News Hour, Mr. Koenig. Welcome. You wrote an article about a month ago, actually exactly a month ago, talking about how the bank failings in the US is just the start of several more, and that the ultimate goal may be consistent with a plan by the WEF, the the World Economic Forum, to orchestrate the collapses, and as they recover, they will do so through the great reset announced by Klaus Schwabe a couple of years ago. Could you explain the situation For our listeners, how is it deliberately planned?
2: Let me begin by saying, by repeating in a way, uh, what you have said and by confirming it, uh, that uh, everything is really connected. And I don't mean just the banking collapses around the world, uh, but also it's connected with COVID, it's connected with the energy shortages, with food shortages, uh, with the Ukraine war, uh, with the the manufactured uh, uh, economic suicide of Europe, which is currently being uh, committed by the European Union. Uh, It's a wanton deindustrialization of the Western world based in starting with Europe, Uh, the desperate attempt to introduce a controlling, all controlling central bank digital currency. As you know, this is also in, in, in the making. It hasn't happened quite yet, uh, but uh, everywhere there are signs that that it may. And, uh, and also, of course, uh, the ongoing uh, just started orchestrated uh, banking collapse. All of that is connected. So, uh, and everything is connected and leads to the World Economic uh, Forum, which uh, has uh, written and imposed upon the world the Great Reset. Actually, Klaus Schwab, Claims he is the author of the Great Reset. He may have had some help, but anyway, the Great Reset is intimately linked to the so-called UN Agenda 2030. If you if you really read behind the lines of the UN Agenda 2030, which on the uh, at the at the outset looks uh, quite interesting and good, but if you dig into it, it's exactly the same as the Great Reset. And in fact, you know, there's no secret anymore they have a a, a cooperation corpor- agreement can you imagine that the that the great uh, the um the world economic forum which is a non elected uh, uh, non elected ngo somewhere at, in the suburb of uh, of geneva with uh, tax free status it's the richest NGO probably in the, in the whole world because it's backed by BlackRock and by uh, many other by the pharmaceuticals and by many other huge corporations and it has immunity from prosecution. So all of that is connected with the United Nations, which had a completely completely different purpose at the at the at the beginning as you know, but you can no, no longer count on the United Nations uh, initial uh, objectives. That's all gone. They are related to the Great Reset. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, the the Guterres and, and, and Klaus Schwab are our uh, bodies.
1: You, you mentioned a WEF uh, insider was caught boasting uh, about the plan to annihilate the. Uh, well, what happened to the Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, could you explain that remark?
2: I could imagine it is Klaus Schwab because he has been boasting about many things. Uh, uh, of, of of what he has been able to achieve and uh, in in what he has been uh, successful already, and it uh, it is very likely that this this is uh, one of the things that he has been boasting about. Uh, among other things, of course, that he has been saying many times, and, and this and this that that the people don't pick up uh, on it is for me amazing. He has been saying many times he has been very successful by being able to introduce uh, actually he calls it infiltrate the young global leaders. You know, he has a school, sort of what we call an academy to uh, to form politicians to actually execute the programs of the World Economic Forum and all those capitals that are behind the World Economic Forum. And so he has been able to introduce uh, these, uh, there are probably more than 1,000 at this point, already in in governments around the globe. And he boasts about that. And, you know, some of them are Trudeau, uh, the Australians, uh, there is uh, Macron, Merkel was one, Schultz is one, and... uh, uh, and 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 most of the European leaders, the European country leaders, are if not all, uh, uh, young global leaders. So nothing works anymore as a democracy. People have nothing to say. They are being implanted by, by artificial intelligence guided elections. Let's put it this way, and and so and and, and also Lula is one of them, and so those you know the same thing he could he could easily do with banks let's uh, let's say how is the silicon valley bank was the first one of this sort there were two more that followed in u.s banks the smaller ones less important ones maybe in a way that uh, collapsed between quotes uh, at more or less the same time so how does that happen because the silicon valley bank didn't really have a, a a liquidity problem it had a, a little uh, problem of, uh, of 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 reputation because of some of some risky businesses that that it has done and it was too much one sided oriented so what you do then is you you spark a, a rumor you know, and the rumors, uh, they, they spark very quickly because the, the, the media, as you know, the mainstream media are bought, totally bought in the West. Uh, and uh, so they do anything that they are told to do. And if they spread a rumor and repeat it, then you cause a run on the bank. And with the run on the bank, you kind of uh, uh, pull out the capital of a bank and then you bring a in bank into trouble. But that is manufactured. And this happened This happened pretty much with the Silicon Valley Bank. And it could have been rescued differently. It, it, there was no need really for the government to, to take it over and for the government actually to, to, uh, to bail it out. Bailing it out is another, another subject that, that, that I can mention later on. It's the same, that, uh, same phenomenon that happened uh, with Credit Suisse in, uh, in, in Zurich. Uh, just to make the link. Uh, Credit Suisse has been in in some sort of a, a trouble, more reputational problem than uh, than a financial problem for the last at least twenty years. They made some kind of uh, fishy deals and uh, and and had uh, all sorts of uh, corruption uh, 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 scandals on the back on their back and so on. And some of them they were solved and they came came new ones. So there was already a background there that uh, that made its reputation uh, uh, questionable, but most cu- customers did did not really bother about that. Uh, in in fact, uh, the first thing that started to going down gradually during the past two years or so or three years were the share values they started declining more and more then went up a little bit again and went down and, and so on so so gradually uh, they they went down up to about the beginning of the year uh, and then uh, rumors started that the bank was in problem had 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 problems because of this reputational thing and that's that's when the run on the bank already started monies were transferred out into other banks and uh, and they became it became sort of a, a potential problem but even then they didn't have a liquidity problem that's uh, confirmed by inside and outside of uh, credit suisse uh, uh, analysts as well as with by the, the, the swiss financial market watchdog which is called finma they say the few days before uh, this uh, artificial i call it an artificial forced merger with ubs Happened. They said Credit Suisse uh, had no uh, liquidity problem. Besides, you know, then, and I don't know if this was uh, just a, a fishy uh, sort of attempt to, to uh, lure the, the people's attention away from it. The government, actually the central bank of Switzerland, which is the government, granted on Friday, the 17th of March, A line of credit, a bailout line of credit of 50 billion francs. Everybody, including Credit Suisse said, and the watchdog and analysts said, that would have been enough to bring back Credit Suisse to a normal bank, even to get rid of these skeletons they had in the closet and become a normal bank again. So the the merger was apparently not necessary. And then during that weekend, the 18th and 19th of March, Sort of like in a dark room, everything happened behind closed doors. Nobody uh, knew what was going on in Bern, and uh, suddenly on Monday morning they came out and said, "Well, the merger is done. We had to use an emergency law to bring about this uh, this merger, uh, which means that uh, Credit Suisse would have would be uh, disappearing and taken over by by UBS." Oh. Um, this this is not so easy because they have not consulted. There's no reason. I mean, international lawyers from Singapore to, to the United States and all through Switzerland uh, say this, there was no reason for, for an emergency law to be applied in this particular case. Uh, credit Swiss could have been uh, resolved differently, by the way, by this 50 billion uh, franc uh, uh, bailout credit. Uh, so there was no law because no reason for the, for the application of this emergency law. Because under this emergency law, the Swiss government is not obliged to consult with the with the shareholders, nor is it obliged to inform the, uh, 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 the TA uh, one sh- um, bondholders. You know, these are bondholders which have which which hold on to a sort of quasi capital of the bank. It's a bond which has the, the potential of yielding higher profits, but also is, is, is riskier. And they had 16 billion of them. And the Swiss government took the liberty to write them down to zero without informing, without consulting, without nothing. You know, they were written down. You can imagine how many people got upset and they won't let it happen. The biggest, uh, the biggest uh, four shareholders, are uh, Saudis and, uh, and Qataris. And the, 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 the Saudi National Bank has about 10%. Saudi and Qataris together have 20%. BlackRock has 5%. So BlackRock at the beginning, this may have also been a farce, at the beginning there was a rumor that BlackRock may, may take it over. But that rumor was quickly dispelled by the Swiss government saying, "No, no, we cannot allow that as a Swiss bank going into foreign hands. We have to keep KD Swiss in Switzerland. It's part of our reputation of the banking center uh, uh, Switzerland, and so then they put they pushed that ahead. However, one must know that the the uh, deputy Vice as uh, deputy chairman of Blackrock is the former central bank president of Switzerland, Philipp Hildebrand, and he knows the ropes in Switzerland very, very well. So he sits on the sidelines and will look what's what's gonna happen with, with, with Credit Suisse. And if Credit Suisse, if if these or if all these people and shareholders who are gonna go uh, along with the with the class action suit, which they have already said they were doing, I think the I think the central bank of saudi arabia was the first one that already on monday or tuesday after the after this merger has announced they will sue the swiss government so if they go along and actually are going to be successful for the shareholders on one hand and on, on the other hand on, the, on these uh the the the, the, the bondholders uh then the swiss government is going to be in big trouble they will suddenly have maybe maybe, I don't know, maybe $20, 30000000000 billion uh, lawsuit on their hands, or maybe a settlement, maybe they would lose it because of so many views that this thing, thing has been illegally done. What would they do with this debt? They could not just say, we absorb it. That means the Swiss taxpayer would absorb it. No way, that's not going to happen. So they will pass it on to Union Bank of Switzerland, to UBS. And UBS can at this time they cannot take that risk they cannot take that money so there is Blackrock on the sideline who could say easily I mean not I'm, I'm not saying this is going to happen I'm saying this is a scenario which I would not rule out okay but then Blackrock says oh we take it over and that okay. uh, that's again a step which would connect this whole thing with the, with the great reset because it would accumulate a huge amount of capital, it's, it would actually be over uh, $5 trillion worth of managed assets that these two banks, Swiss, uh, Credit Suisse and UBS have together, adding to the BlackRock capital they have already, which is probably about $15 billion anyway, or maybe even more. Uh, you can imagine what that would uh, would amount. So all of this is part of the great reset, accumulating capital into the controlling uh, forces that already exist and which are behind the the World Economic Forum. How, so it all how, connects.
1: What can we possibly do to to halt this uh, uh, the collapses of the or the the failures in the United States, essentially spreading uh, across? the Atlantic and and around the world?
2: Well, that's a good question. But I think what you are doing is already a great step in this direction, namely informing people. And this is one of the very good points that have, uh, very very good things that have happened in the past, uh, say, half a year or so. People have been waking up. You know, there's a lot of information that has gotten out. In, In the case of COVID, lots of scientists and lots of medical doctors have come out to speak out. Uh, openly, and uh, there are non-mainstream media like yours, like Michel's, and so on, and others that bring these information to the people. And there are more and more who are reading it. And I think only when we have a critical mass, we can actually resist it. And if the resistance, as it as it is, a peaceful peaceful resistance, and but uh, but uh, but in in insistent uh, persistent resistance against uh, this is what's going on against the reset against the agenda twenty twenty thirty. if that does not happen it's 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 worthless i think what we can do when there are lots of people already who are starting of uh were talking about starting a parallel society
1: you, know, you said, bringing,
2: bringing back sort of, you,
1: yes? you mentioned that uh the the uh, this pace it, it was going like a little bit faster than they had originally. The, the agenda to 2030 was happening a little bit faster than they planned before. I mean, can you read into that a little bit of uh, a sense of uh, like maybe they're desperate or something to to, to put it forward exactly. as soon as possible? So is that sort of a sign that we're doing something right?
2: Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what the what I had in mind. You know that they, they realize that they have. You know this. These, these 10 years, 20, 2020 to 2030, you know, if you start, if people start thinking about uh, when did it start, it started basically on January 1st, 2020. And is supposed, according to this agenda, to end uh, at the end of 2030. So to put all this change into 10 years, uh, I don't know whether it even would be possible, but if, if, if They have been preparing this and they have been preparing this for probably 100 years, bit by bit, even I would say even more. I would I would say at least since World War One, if not before this whole change over that uh, that is uh, going on, that we have been seeing. We have been seeing actually only really uh, since uh, 1st of January 2020, only since about three years. But this has been, been planned for a long time ago. So there have been indications to it, uh, although many, many times before, we just didn't pick up on it. Now, uh, in, within these preparations, they have, of course, many fallback positions, so that if uh, you can imagine, like an octopus, you know, with its with its arms around the world, you know, and then you know, some kind of a resistance comes and cuts one off of these arms. They keep working with the others until this one arm, this one branch grows back, Uh, and so it's 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 a very well thought out system. But we can resist it, and I think with the with with people and with an awakened conscience, I think we we are we are able to to resist it and uh, to overcome this huge monster that wants to destroy the the current uh, society as we know it. Uh, and I'm I'm pretty confident. Yeah, but you're right. I think they got wind of that. But they have realized that there is too much awakening. We have to accelerate uh, the the process. That's why they are accelerating uh, the introduction of uh, trying to accelerate the introduction of uh, of central bank digital currency. Because once that is introduced, and and cash money is uh, has been made obsolete. Switzerland again is one of the leading countries in that direction. Although they have had a setback, because I recently read that within the last year, cash payments have taken overhand uh, to have taken over uh, credit card payments, electronic payments. So this is this is a good sign, but I don't know whether it will last. Uh, because, uh, you know, the government behind it, uh, they have uh, every power to just uh, cut it off. But if, if, if the people say, okay, if you cut it off, we create our new money. And that has happened before. You know, that has happened in the 2008 crisis, 2008, 2010. I know um, small towns in Spain and in, in Greece that have started with their own money, their own economies. Uh, Of course, not long enough and uh, it wasn't necessary maybe, but it's possible, you know, examples exist. So it's not uh, excluded that we could start a parallel society.
1: Peter Koenig is a geopolitical analyst and a former senior economist of the World Bank and the World Health Organization and a research associate of the Center for Research on Globalization. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. It seems that now First Republican Bank is in trouble as we record this interview on the, the 25th of April. Will we see even more bank failures? Uh, we have decided to talk with Jack Rasmus about this subject. Dr. Rasmus teaches. Economics at St. Mary's College uh, in California. He's the author of several books, and Jack is the host of the weekly radio show Alternative Visions on the Progressive Radio Network and a journalist writing on economic, political, and labor issues for various magazines. Welcome back to the Global Research News Hour, Dr. Rasmus. It's, it's good to have you back. Now, the, the, the next bank failures are taking place this week, apparently. According to Yahoo News, First Republic shares fell 21% in today's pre-market on the uh, back of dire first quarter earnings. Uh, the regional bank's customers pulled out more than $100 billion worth of deposits last quarter. That's a lot. CBS News reports depositors are fleeing, causing stocks to plummet, and that First Republic had roughly two hundred ninety billion dollars in assets as of March thirty-first, making it larger than Silicon Valley Bank at the time of its failure. Do you see parallels between the crisis facing the First Republic Republican Bank and the the bank crises facing Silvergate? Capital and Silicon Valley banks um, last month?
3: Yeah, I would add the uh, Signature Bank also failed last month. So there were three failures. Uh, Silvergate, which was tied uh, to a lot of investments in the crypto sector. Signature, which had both uh, crypto and uh, tech and Silicon Valley Bank, which was primarily a financer of the tech, tech sector. And uh, of course, all, all three of those failures. Um, we see replicated here uh, as well in the First Republic, which almost failed, came right, right to the brink uh, while these other failures occurred and um, was uh, sort of rescued temporarily. Uh, Jamie Dimon, CEO of uh, Chase, got together with a consortium of uh, other big bankers and they threw $30 billion at it at First Republic. And uh, the Fed uh, pumped in $400 billion into, through the FDIC and through its special uh, facility, the Fed Special Banking Rescue Facility. Uh, Within a a week or so, $400 billion flowed into these regional banks to try to prevent them from collapsing. And uh, it it temporarily uh, suspended the collapse. Uh, But the fundamental problems underlying it uh, are still there, and now we're seeing them uh, those fundamental problems uh, emerge once again, and uh, First Republic Bank, which two days ago I said uh, would fail, uh, and of course uh, today we've we've got the indication that 100 billion dollars of cash uh, of withdrawals uh, have occurred, which is a big problem in these uh, uh, deposit, the retail deposit-heavy uh, commercial, uh, small, medium banks, uh, and. Uh, By the way, its stock price is down 50% today. It was uh, $14, I think, uh, yesterday. Now it's trading, as we talk here, at about $7. Uh, So, uh, you know, that's an indicator, uh, though both of those are key indicators of a bank uh, just about ready to go under. uh, The stock price collapse, uh, cash withdrawals uh, going on. uh, And also a third indicator, uh, you might say, is... uh, the cost of uh, uh, buying uh, insurance contracts called credit default swaps on the possible failure of of a bank or any company, CDSs as we call them, the price becomes so onerous that no one can afford uh, to buy these uh, uh, insurance contracts, which means uh, uh, the bank is going under pretty much. Uh, And uh, that's pretty much what we see with uh, First Republic. I don't think it's going to survive here uh, it's desperately trying to find buyers for its best assets. That's one way uh, you you see a bank trying, or any corporation trying to uh, save itself from bankruptcy and at the eleventh hour. It sells off its best assets. Um, the CEO of First Republic said he'd he, he's selling 100 billion dollars assets, but the problem is there's no buyers. You see, yeah. <laughs> no one even wants to buy the best assets of a of a failed bank, a zombie bank. Uh, which means the government's going to have to step in somehow and uh, bail it out or take it under receivership and then find uh, buyers for the best assets and, and the worst assets will will uh, go under. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> the depositors that we see in these commercial banks uh, apparently will be taken care of one by one. In other words, the government isn't going to have the FDC uh, provide uh, uh, assurances that anyone, any depositor with over two hundred fifty thousand dollars limit, uh, will be bailed out uh, across the board, uh, as the regional banking industry wants the, the government to do. But the Fed will do it case by case. They did it with Silicon Valley Bank, uh, which had like seventy five percent of its deposits were were more than two hundred fifty thousand, and uh, the same thing here. Uh, with First Republic Bank, uh, the large pr- proportion uh, of depositors uh, are above that because these are the people uh, who have been riding the tech and the crypto bubbles uh, and they got h- individuals, right? And uh, <clears throat> they have a huge amount of uh, money capital and they put them in these banks like Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic Signature, uh, well above the 250000 limit. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a reflection that it's important to understand that the problem in this bank, and these banks the regional small regional banks, is not just that they were deregulated in 2017, you know, in 2010 we passed the Dodd Frank bill that said, uh, you got to keep uh, so much uh, uh, reserves on hand in case uh, you know, people come and they say they want their money back. Uh, well, they were, they, the Silicon Valley Bank and others were exempted from that in 2017 under Trump. Uh, so as a result, they kept virtually no reserves on hand. Uh, they loaned it, loaned it all out. Uh, for example, I think Silicon Valley Bank had 1% of reserves on hand. Uh, big banks, you know, like Chase and others have uh, 10 to 15 percent and Citigroup had 25 percent on hand. Uh, but these small banks uh, were allowed to, you know, ride the bubble in tech and crypto, uh, take in all of this uh, uh, IPO money and take it from the venture capitalists, take in all this uh, uh, individual wealthy uh, tech speculators money, and a lot of employees in, in tech as well did very well, particularly the managers in tech. And they pumped all the money into like Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic, which is also in San Francisco. Uh, Silicon Valley was in in the valley there. Uh, and uh, the point the bottom line point is uh, we had a bubble in tech and the bubble started bursting last year
1: uh, and you, that's why don't you maybe silicon valley but what what actually took place over the last few decades that sort of i guess freed up the, the this prospect of, of of having all of this uh the the, the increased risks of uh, of major runs on the bank uh, as opposed to the way it was before it seemed to be a little bit more settled back in the I guess, in the 80s and, and 90s, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, a- actually, uh, the bubbles began to appear in the 80s. Uh, they were more or less isolated, financial asset bubbles, uh, isolated to individual companies or markets, you know, like the residential housing market or the junk bond market or something like that, you know, in the 80s. Uh, and then in the 90s, it began to uh, get larger, uh, you had the currency crisis and bubbles uh, in, in the late 90s. Uh, you had sovereign debt bubbles that collapsed uh, at the same time. Uh, and then uh, you had the, the role of derivatives uh, playing a key role in, in the bubbles uh, in uh, the 2006 to 2008 uh, and the residential housing bubble that we know about. But that was really a derivatives bubble, too. You see, uh, the, the worst of the 2008-9 crash was uh, was when the Lehman Brothers uh, went under uh, because of its uh, late entry and over-speculation in the house, residential housing market. Uh, and uh, the uh, government uh, decided not to bail Lehman Brothers out in September 2008, and then the uh, Uh, These derivatives credit default swaps were written by AIG, the big insurance uh, uh, giant on Lehman's crash, and then they couldn't pay up uh, on the CDS's when Lehman went under. And that just exacerbated the crash even further. Uh, That was late September. So uh, it's wrong to think of the 2008-9 crash as just a crash in the housing sector uh, that then had contagion and spread to commercial banks like Washington Mutual and others uh, that were playing the residential real estate, but it is also derivatives crash. uh, And that's why uh, it was so severe. And when you got a financial crash, uh, what happens is uh, bank lending freezes up. Uh, And when bank lending freezes up a lot of uh, companies that weren't in any trouble, uh, are now in trouble, particularly small and medium uh, companies that tend to rely on, uh, on uh, bank loans, particularly small regional banks, uh, then uh, the, the real economy shuts down. So the, the uh, financial crash precipitates the general real economic uh, crisis and crash. And then, of course, it feeds back uh, on the financial sector as well. And uh, the way the Feds uh, dealt with it was to throw uh, even more trillions of dollars uh, at it to try to stave the, the crash and the contagion. Now, this is important uh, because the Fed has been throwing trillions of dollars into the economy and creating the financial bubbles ultimately uh, for decades now. Uh, and uh, it's only gotten worse. And there's trillions of trillions, tens of trillions of dollars of, of uh, money capital out there just sloshing around.
1: Derivatives that uh, like it's, it's expanded even in the last uh, couple of decades, correct?
3: Correct. Correct. But the, the derivatives aren't involved in this this current uh, banking crisis. Uh, uh, the, the dynamics are a little bit different than the housing derivatives crash of 2008-10. Uh, this time around. This time around, uh, it's the commercial banks that are in trouble, but riding the bubble of tech and crypto, you see, just as in 2008-9, the banks, shadow banks in particular, hedge funds and so forth, were riding the housing bubble. So, the bubble is different. It's not residential housing now, although I'll have something to say about commercial real estate next bubble, Uh, but... I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Right now, the bubble, you got to remember, the overexpansion was the tech bubble, which kind of went bust here, uh, the the industry, the real industry, the tech industry last year. And crypto went bust last year. As soon as uh, the Fed started raising rates, uh, the crypto bubble... Uh, uh, imploded and it's sort of trying to put itself back together again. And uh, so did the tech bubble. We saw all these big layoffs occurring, you know, uh, from the big tech companies. You know, the the evil four. You know, uh, uh, Meta and uh, I call them the evil four: Meta, Google, Microsoft, and Amazon. Uh, and uh, the the bubble bursting meant that you didn't have new IPOs in tech. Uh, Being written now, we're getting to the the dynamics of what happened at Silicon Valley Bank. Let's say, which is a template for what's happening elsewhere right now. What happened at Silicon Valley Bank was the bank, uh, uh, because they only had to keep one percent reserves on on hand, uh, loaned out all of its money, uh, and took in a lot of depositors. But the ratio of deposits to loans was very risky. Uh, And then we had COVID occur and uh, the government start through through, uh, the government, meaning the Federal Reserve, threw $5 trillion in 2021 into the economy, $5 trillion to pre-bail out the banks. The banks weren't in trouble when COVID hit, unlike in 2008-9, they were in trouble. The banks were in trouble and the Fed Four and a half trillion was already still there on the Fed balance sheet from the previous 2008 10 bailout. Now the Fed throws five trillion dollars into the banking system uh, as a pre bank bailout. We never pre bailed out the banks before, but we did in 2021. Now that's a lot of liquidity flowing into the, the, the market in the 21st century financialized capitalism, most of that Fed injection of liquidity, I've been arguing, goes into financial asset markets. It doesn't go into the real economy because it's much more profitable for capitalists to invest in financial assets in the U.S. than abroad. So all this money does not really stimulate the U.S. economy that much during COVID, but it sure causes the bubbles in the financial asset markets. We saw what happened with uh, uh, stocks and bonds, and, and of course it also happened with tech and crypto. Uh, so the Fed plays a big role in, in fundamentally causing these crises. Uh, and uh, the deregulation is not the cause, it's an enabling factor. Makes it worse, exacerbates it, right? The Fed raising rates here Uh, since last year is a precipitating cause. You got to distinguish between fundamental enabling and precipitating causation. The Fed is the fundamental cause throwing all this liquidity out there, which gets into financial asset markets. And in the case of what's happening now, it got into the tech boom, created the tech boom and a crypto boom because banks loan to investors who then invest in financial assets, you see because in 21st century capitalism is much more profitable to do that. The financialized capitalism global today means that the money's flowing into investors who invest in financial assets rather than real economy. That's not to say there's no investment in the real economy going on. It's going on, but relative. Uh, and I've been writing about this shift from real investment to financial asset investment since my book, Systemic Fragility in the Global Economy in 2015. Uh, And this is just continuing. Uh, So uh, all this fed $5 trillion more in 2021, pumped into the economy, flows into financial markets. Uh, We see it as stocks and bonds. The billionaires who invest in financial markets got really more billions. That's how they got it. It was financial uh, assets, stock values, and bond values and so forth. Uh, And it also got into the tech sector and the tech sector boomed and people involved in the tech sector, the venture capitalists and the uh, corporate uh, uh, leaders who created these companies uh, or expanded these companies, the evil four. And a lot of the senior employees got money too from stock options. A lot of this money flowed into Silicon Valley Bank and these other banks, particularly on the West Coast, First Republic, or into the tech sector, you know Silvergate, and so forth. Uh, and, and then when the Fed started raising rates, uh, up the game was over. You didn't have all these new IPOs being, <coughs> uh, being issued. <clears throat> At the same time during, here's another factor uh, during uh, COVID here, the government issued all these bonds, these corporate treasuries, and Silicon Valley Bank and the others bought a lot of treasuries, like $20, $30 billion worth of treasuries. Why? Uh, because returns on other assets were very low during the shutdown of the economy. But the government said, you know, here's uh, treasuries guaranteed 3 4%, whatever. Uh, so they bought heavily into that. Now, this is a problem. This is a problem because what happened at SVB and First Republic and all these these players is that when the Fed started raising rates, the price of those treasuries collapsed. Also, the price uh, of the stock of tech and everything collapsed. So they had big paper, unsecured losses, on their balance sheets. When they had that, in other words, they were in in the red. Uh, then you got the rating agencies like Moody's uh, saying, oh, you know, Silicon Valley is in the red. Uh, you know, its values have collapsed. Uh, and then the VCs tell their companies that they financed, who had their money in Silicon Valley Bank, and so did the VCs, that, "Up, you better get your money out of SVB. Well, uh, well, That's when the withdrawals, the money withdrawals occur, which exacerbates their balance sheet. Now they're even further in the red because they don't have money capital uh, cash to offset the losses that are going on because of the collapse of the price of their securities, bonds, and so forth. So they're in the red. Uh, It doesn't look good. And when Silicon Valley tells its clients, better get your money out of VC, whoosh the money starts flowing out, which exacerbates the problem. What Silicon Valley Bank tried to do desperately in the last week, when all these withdrawals began to occur, uh, was uh, to try to uh, issue bonds, new bonds. Uh, but they lost $2 billion in the issue, because bond prices were falling, because the rates were rising. <laughs> you know. Uh, And they also tried at the very last moment using Goldman Sachs to issue equity stock. In other words, they're trying to fill the black hole of the asset price collapse, deflation on their balance sheets by issuing bonds of stock, but it didn't work.
1: Just to to sort of sum up, I mean, there was that massive amount of money liquidity that flew into the the system. The the bank spent a lot of it. And then when the uh the, the, I guess the fed raised the the interest rate and rate went up pretty quickly like as as faster than any time in the last 30 years or something like that Look, that was essentially the prick that uh, that burst the the balloon is that correct
3: right correct that's what i call the precipitating cause the fundamental problem it was prime for a contraction and a crash because of the speculation and the bubble that had built up in those markets uh, you know in, in tech and crypto that was reflected on the balance sheet of these uh, uh, companies, uh, Silicon Valley Bank because they weren't being regulated and only kept 1% reserves you know uh, they were they were ready for a crash and when you have all the cash outflow you got a liquidity crisis. in other words the, the bank does not have sufficient liquidity. Uh, and then, of course, uh, when everybody withdraws and the price collapses, and so forth, their stock, and uh, then you have a solvency crisis. You see, they went from a liquidity crisis to a solvency crisis. But the uh, regulation that allowed them only one percent—that was an enabling cause. Fundamentally, it was the problem of the financialization going on, in twenty-first century capitalism, and the Fed feeding that. For decades and accelerating five trillion dollars when the banks didn't need it, you know, but they took that money and they speculated with it. Right, that's the fundamental cause. Uh, enabling cause was, uh, you know, no regulation, and then uh, the precipitating cause when is when the Fed reverses course, raises its interest rates, you know, shuts down that industry. Uh, and then the withdrawals start coming. And once you, once you get withdrawals going from one or two of these big banks, uh, the confidence in the whole sector, in the small medium banking sector, uh, spreads. You've got contagion. Psychological contagion goes first, and then depositors begin to look around and say, "Well." Geez, I don't know if my bank, First Republic, is in trouble. I better take my money out and put it in Chase, you know, or, or Citigroup or something, just to be safe. So you get this withdrawals going on everywhere. And that started to spread after Silicon Valley and Signature Bank went under. It spread to First Republic. Uh, but Jamie Dimon got together with his big bank boys, who were getting a lot of this withdrawals, and threw $30 billion at First Republic, uh, but it didn't work. These consortiums by private bankers to try to bail are, are always too little too late. They never work. Uh, we, in the past, they've never worked and Dr. this one wasn't Adams, gonna work either. Are, are we basically re-entering
1: the early 30s again? Because you've seen like one bank after another is going through a collapse. Is is a great depression about to set in? Well, I mean, who's your choice of the next bank that's gonna go?
3: Well, during the 1930s, from 29 to 33, 17,000 small-medium banks went under, and some big ones. 17,000 banks went under. They stopped soon as the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, FDIC, uh, guaranteed uh, deposits. After that, in 1934, no banks failed. Okay? Now, the problem today is that uh, the FDIC only insures 250,000. In 2008, it was only 100,000. But 250,000 isn't enough, you see, uh, because most of the wealth created by financial speculation uh, and the deposits as a result are more than 250,000. But the contradiction is uh, the FDIC and the government can't announce it's gonna cover all deposits everywhere because it doesn't have the money to, to do that. Everyone would know that that's, that's just, you know, a lie. I and mean, it, it would cost tens of trillions of dollars to bail out. I think the amount of uh, deposits in the banks in the U.S. is $17 trillion, mm.
0: right?
3: Uh, the Fed doesn't have $17 trillion uh, to bail it out, and everybody would know it. That's why they're doing it bank by bank. But by doing the bailouts above 250,000 for depositors bank by bank, uh, it doesn't really stop the contagion going on through all the the, the, the sector banks here involved uh, with the tech and crypto bubbles, right? Now, the next bubble that's coming, I think, and that may be the coup de grace, uh, is the commercial real estate sector. Uh, when the commercial real estate uh, sector has to roll over its debt uh, at the end of this year and early next year a whole round of rollovers coming right And the rates are chronically high five, six percent, four percent, even whatever right The banks are, are who, who are now, now uh, worried about the liquidity and holding on to more cash are simply going to tell these commercial real estate companies that uh, uh, sorry uh, you know we can't roll over your debt then they go bankrupt you see uh and then you got an exacerbation when it these commercial real estate mostly involved in offices offices and malls okay uh commercial real estate is offices and malls and resorts and hotels and factories and so forth but the two big problem areas uh, are offices and malls now that's a secular problem that these sectors have had here uh, overlaid on, you know, the crisis, the bubble overlaid on top of this, because people aren't, aren't, uh, working in the big cities. I think there's, there's like a 70% occupancy in business offices in the big cities is very low. Uh, and, um, you, you've got uh, malls uh, going under people, you know, because of remote and Amazon and buying and everything, they're not going to malls anymore. Uh, these properties are going to go bankrupt. And when they do bankruptcy means losses on the balance sheets of the regional banks that loan them money, because most of these sectors borrow from small and regional small and medium regional banks. Uh, so this sector. Uh, commercial real estate, and small and medium banks, regional banks, uh, are linked here for the next bubble. Well, it's not a bubble, the next crash here, on top of the tech bubble, on top of uh, of the crypto bubble that's already hit, and uh, the contagion and the psychology of, well, I don't know if I should keep my money in a small regional bank anymore. Wait until the commercial real estate goes under, Uh, And then that psychological contagion is really going to uh, drive deep and people are going to pull their money uh, out of these regional banks and it's going to get even worse. Uh, I mean, just two days ago, uh, Moody's, the rating agency, identified at least a dozen regional banks that are in trouble. They downgraded their ratings one and two two steps, which is significant. In other words, they're saying that these are the next first republics. <laughs> you know, uh, and a whole a list of them. Uh, you know, US Bank Corp, Associated Bank Corp, uh, First Hawaiian, Comerica, Western Alliance, Zion, PacWest Bank Corp, um, Washington Federal. Uh, there's about a dozen of them that are the next candidates here, and First Republic may precipitate. Uh, you know, one or two more in these other other areas. And all this before the big crisis hits with the commercial real estate market uh, later in the year and early next year.
1: That was Dr. Jack Rasmus. He teaches economics at St. Mary's College in California. And you can see more of his work at jackrasmus.com.
0: That's it for this week. Next week, we'll be paying tribute to the memory of the prominent 9-11 researcher and academic, Graham McQueen.
1: You're listening to the Global Research NewsHour, a program funded by the Centre for Research on Globalisation and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. On the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Inenu, Ojikri, Dine and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland, the show airs on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and is available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I've been your host, Michael Welch. Thanks once again for joining us.